Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. To all the dads, um, we just wanted you to know that um, we did not put up a photo booth out of there on, on your honor. So there's no Father's Day photo booth. You're welcome. We're just looking out for you. Um, no, but we do appreciate uh, our fathers and appreciate what those that have that led us, uh, what they did as they lived in front of us and appreciate what you guys are doing. It's always an encouragement to me to, to see other fathers that are, that are doing their best to do things the right way and follow the Lord and lead their family in the, in the same. And uh, that is a difficult task, and we're not always perfect at it. Uh, but I appreciate and, and uh, uh, respect uh, you as fathers, and we appreciate that. I um, also wanted to um, bring to your attention a young lady from our church named Danielle Foster. She grew up here, and um, she is uh, following the Lord in ministry and uh, serving at, at Rice University with the Baptist Student Ministry to try to, to reach people for Christ there. And um, she is uh, engaging people in conversations about the Lord and the gospel. And if you'd like to participate in her ministry, whether through prayer or, or financially, she has a table set up out here in a foyer. And uh, she'll be there after the, after the service to speak to anyone and answer any questions. And I hope that you'll be lifting her up in prayer. Um, today we're continuing in Acts chapter 8, and in some ways this is um, like three or four sermons kind of in one little group here. It's, I'll call it my Father's Day special package, so I'm giving you like four in one today, and you can thank me later. Um, but I appreciate you being here today, and you know, I tell you what, you guys, man, y'all, it's always a surprise, because when the service starts, I look out and there's like 10 people in here, and by the time I get up to preach, y'all have, I mean, man, y'all... Y'all really filled in the place. And so y'all are my most punctuality challenged of all my services, and I appreciate y'all. Um, <laughs> the 8, 8.30 service, man, they're in here. I, I don't, 11 o'clock, I don't know. But anyway, we appreciate you being here. And if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 4. And last week we talked about how Stephen, the first martyr, was, was uh, uh, put to death and as a result, there was a great wave of persecution that um, kind of went through Jerusalem, and the believers were scattered. And we're picking that up in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. And if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that really struck me about this was how the, the believers were scattered in all these different places, and none of them really intended to be where they were. Philip ended up in Samaria, but they were departing and leaving in this wave of persecution. And it really just kind of struck me how faithful they were wherever they ended up. And the, the first um, thing I want to talk about today and see in this passage is about being faithful where you are. 
And there's kind of this, this thing in our society, and it's probably been true for all societies, is, is too many times we see ourselves in kind of a transition period. And we think if we can just get to the next stage, that then we'll be able to be faithful, that then God can really use us. And we too many times see the phase that we're in or the stage that we're in in life as being temporary. Now, for some of you, maybe you're living in the Weatherford area and you're not planning on being here very long. But for a lot of us, maybe you're, it's not about your location, but it's about, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in college now, or I'm in high school now. And I, you know, one of these days I'm going to kind of get to this next phase or, 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 you know, I'm single. And one of these days God's going to show me what I'm going to do. And then I'm maybe going to find a mate. And, and we tend to see the, the phase that we're in in life as being short term. And then it's, well, you know, we're married, but we're going to have kids. And then it's, well, I got small kids and man, they're just, they're, they're eating us up. But one of these days our kids are going to be older and then we're going to have time. And then it's, well, you know, our kids are older now and man, we're busier than we ever were. And we thought, you know, they'll be out of the house one day. And then, then we got grandkids and then we always want to, you know, it's always kind of thinking that the phase or stage that we're in is temporary and it's going to be short lived. But the fact of the matter is that you're in the stage you're in on purpose. God has you there for a reason, and God has you in a place for a reason, and God has you in a, a, a moment of time in life for a reason, and maybe God has you in a job for a reason. So many times we think, well, if this isn't the job I'm going to do forever. It's just the one I'm doing now. And what we do is we neglect where we're at now, thinking that where we're going to be is going to be so much better. And you know what? Here's the, here's the secret I've learned through, through my life. And I know there's phases yet to come in my life, but one of the things that I've learned that every phase in life has its own joys and it's also its own difficulties. And the next phase, the, the joys and the difficulties may be different, but they're still going to be there. And the phase after that, there's still going to be joys and there's still going to be difficulties. And you always think that the next one's going to be better, but it's really just different. And the, the, the truth of the matter is that wherever God has you now, God has given you some unique abilities to be faithful where you're at now in life. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about how, you know, God's people would rebel. And there were times where God even allowed other nations to come in and take them into captivity for a period of time. And one time the Babylonians came and took them back as slaves in their region and in their area. And the children of Israel knew that God had promised them, hey, someday you're going to give, go back to Jerusalem. And so they're there in Babylon, and they're thinking, well, we're not going to be here very long, so let's not, you know, let, let's not get crazy. We're, we're, going to, we're going to go back to Jerusalem, and when we get there, everything's going to be good. And so they started telling each other, hey, you know, you probably don't want to get married right now because we're going to be traveling to Babylon. And that's going to be a long journey. And, and you don't want to start your wedding, your marriage, you know, having to take this long, dusty trip with a bunch of other people, sleeping, sleeping outside and going through all that. As a matter of fact, you probably, if you're married, you know, don't have kids right now because who wants to drag a, a little baby across this journey? Now, when we get there, then, man, you do all those things. And then they'd be like, why are you building a house? Why are you planting a garden? We're not going to be here very long. And in Jeremiah 29, the Lord comes through the prophet and brings a message to people that I think is true for us too. Because you know what? He didn't tell them how long they were going to be there. 
And even when he comes to him, he doesn't say, hey, you're going to be here for this period of time. Here's what he says. This is what the, in Jeremiah 29, 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, build homes and plant to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then five spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. And the message is, you don't know how long you're going to be here. And guess what? I'm not going to tell you. But here's what you do. It's wherever you're at, be faithful and live where you are. There's nothing wrong with longing to be in Jerusalem. But you know what he tells them? Don't neglect where you're at. Plant gardens. Begin families. Pray for the city that you're in. And so whether that is a location for you or whether that is a time of life for you, instead of constantly longing for the next phase or the next thing, look where you're at and live there and be faithful there and serve God there. You know, when he got to Samaria, Philip didn't go, hey, you know what? There's a time of persecution, but this will pass. And maybe soon God will tell me where he wants me to go permanently. So I'm just going to hang out right here and I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to get involved in something. Wherever they went, they preached the gospel. They ministered to people. They told them about Jesus. They helped them grow in him after they came to faith. Wherever you're at, be faithful. Don't keep waiting for that next thing. Take where you're at now and be faithful there. So be faithful where you are. The second thing, and this is kind of interjected in here, is there's a, a character kind of enters this story. And he's pretty unique. His name is Simon. And it says in Acts 8, 9 through 13, it says a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. See, I thought Michael Jordan was the great one. I didn't want to get into that debate, but anyway. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Now, I want you to know a couple things about the Samaritans. Now, the Israelites, those who were in Israel, wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans because the, the Samaritans had violated God's law and they had gone out and they had married other tribes that were in the promised land, which was contrary to what God told them to do. And as a matter of fact, one of the reasons he told them to do it, not to do it was because they would take on the customs of the people like witchcraft and sorcery and stuff like that. And so he told them not to do it, but they did it anyway. And so the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans because they considered them to be sinners. Okay? And they were wrong. They had violated God's covenant. But they still had God's law. 
They still worshiped the same God at some level or another, even though they weren't allowed to go into the temple. They still knew about God. They still worshiped, quote, the God of Abraham. As a matter of fact, that was when, when Jesus came across the woman at the well in Samaria, that was one of her questions. Hey, our people say you worship here. Your people say you worship, which is right. So they, they, they talked about it. It was something they struggled with. But they knew that being a sorcerer, and they knew that magic was wrong. And yet here was this guy. He was a part of them, well-known to them. They, he had a great, you know, they, they followed him or whatever. And so here's the thing that I, I want you to catch is that they violated God's law. It didn't mean that God didn't love them, that God didn't have a plan for them. But they allowed into their midst some of the things that God told them not to. And one of those was this sorcerer. And one of those was this thing called magic. And you know what? Here's how they knew that it was wrong. It says in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering and do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Now, those things have been around since the Old Testament. They were around in the times of Jesus, and they're around in this day and age. And one of the differences is, is that they have different names for it a lot of times. They call themselves spiritists, or they're just spiritual, or they're, you know, encompassing all spirits or whatever. And I've even seen people, and here's one of the big dangers, is they'll try to Christianize things that the Word of God directly says to stay away from. There are those who call themselves Christians that, well, you know, I, I, I hear from, you know, I can get a reading or I can find out about your future. Or I can see this or see that. That is witchcraft and sorcery. That's not of God. And just because somebody tries to put a Christian name ahead of it does not mean that it's now Christian. It's just sin wrapped up with a better sounding name. And that's a big deal now in our in our culture is renaming things to make them sound better than they really are. The fact of the matter is adultery is still adultery. Fornication is fornication. Looking at pornography is lusting on someone in your heart. It's against the word of God. Homosexuality is homosexuality. Those things are clearly called sin. And just putting a Christian name on it or trying to say, well, but we go to church or we're this or we're that. That's not, that does not make it okay. And people that try to tell you that they can get a, you know, I, I, this one lady said, try to tell me that she, you know, the angels would speak to her and it would give her insight in other people's lives. That is sorcery and witchcraft. And it, I want to be, here's what it says. That is detestable to the Lord. It is an offense to the Lord God. And just because you will, and here's what people will tell you as a, as a result of it. 
They'll try to tell you, well, but in my personal experience, this is blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. There are testimonies that we should give about how God works in our lives. But if our testimony contradicts the word of God, it's not a help. It's a hindrance and it's a deception to other people. You see, sometimes you can go back and say, well, you know what? I did this and it wasn't supposed to be good, but here's something good that came out of it. That's not a testimony. That's, that's a testimony about God's mercy. But it's not a testimony about how to do things because it contradicts the word of God. Sometimes God's merciful to us. But that doesn't mean we should mistake his mercy for approval. If the word of God says something is a sin, it's a sin. And we need to understand you can't take the things of the world and like Christianize them and make them okay. That is not how it works. And there's way too much of that going on within the church is we try to take the things of the world that we like and we, you know, kind of dress it up and make it look Christian, but it's still of the world. It says in Romans 12 too, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, I want to just say this. Rainbows are not evil. They're not. Rainbow, the rainbow was given to man as a, as a promise from God that he would never again flood the earth, cover the earth in water. It's a reminder about God's judgment on man's sin and a reminder of God's promise of redemption. Noah and his family were saved through the flood and the rainbow was given to them as a reminder. Now, here's the opposite side of that is sometimes culture or evil will try to hijack God's symbols and make it mean something that it does not. Okay. Now I know you see it all over the place this month because it's quote pride month. I want you to just think about that for just a second. You talk about, I, I, I worry for people that go around touting God's symbol as pride in something that God has said is sin. How, how offensive can we be to God? So listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't believe in rainbows. They're, they're, they're created by God for God's promises. But I fear for people that are taking God's promises and using them to excuse and even be proud of sinful behavior. That doesn't mean we ought to hate them. I'm, I'm concerned for them. But we got to be careful about this mixture of culture and religion. When we come to Christ... It should be so God could transform us into a new person, not just Christianize the old version of us. We're a new person. And so be careful about adopting the behavior and the customs of the world. We should let God transform us. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So be careful about allowing culture into your way of thinking. Now, those of us, depending on when we were saved in particular, we bring, the younger we're saved, the less we bring into this. But the older we are when we're saved, the more of the world's kind of thinking 
gets dragged along with us as we follow Christ. And so we have to be constantly, and those of us, even who are believers, maybe if you were saved as a young child, you got to constantly be on the lookout to make sure that your way of thinking, your way of looking at things, your way of living is lined up with the word of God and not culture and not the things of the world. And so we've got to constantly be careful. You want to know why? Because we're in the world. The Bible says don't be of the world, but we're in the world. And so we're surrounded by those things. And if we're not careful, they can overtake our thinking and can change our way of going and our way of looking at things into a more worldly view. And the best defense of that is to be in the word of God, to be in the truth, to be around other believers who are following the things of God. And don't allow those things of the world to get into your mind and in your heart. Don't copy the world. And I'm going to tell you, I know everybody has this desire. We want to know what, what's going to happen. Look, taking on these people that tried to come in and say, well, you know, pretty soon we're going back. God said, hey, they're wrong. Don't listen to them. Now, it was a message people wanted to hear, but it wasn't a godly message. You cannot by any other means, find out what God has planned for the future. God will reveal that when he's ready. And I get it. Everybody, you know, well, I'd be cool to know this or cool to know that. Forget about if you want to use worldly things to find out spiritual truths, you're always going to be disappointed. Seek spiritual things. And you know what? Over and over again, you know what Jesus said? He didn't say, hey, you know, a month from now, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. He says, daily, take up your cross, follow me. You want to know where you're supposed to be in 10 years? You want to make sure you're in the right spot? You want to make sure you're the right person? Every day, get up and follow Jesus. And if you do that every day, you'll be in the right spot a year from now and 10 years from now and 30 years from now. But even if you knew, even if God said, here's what you're going to do 30 years from now, you still got to get up every day. But God doesn't work that way. He said, everything's daily. You ever notice that? Give us this day our daily bread. Every day, get up and make the decision to pick up your cross. Sacrifice yourself and follow Jesus. That's how Jesus works. And our job is to be daily in our following of him. And so don't get sucked into the things of the world. So now, the next part, and this is like sermon number three. We're going to do a little crash course on Bible scripture, what it means, and also how to interpret scripture. Because you've heard me say numerous times that when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. Well, now we're going to look at a passage where it doesn't happen that way. And we're going to try to figure out why, okay? Acts 8, 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them because they believed for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So how do we look at that? How do we interpret that? How do we figure that out? Because the Bible also says in another place that if you don't have the spirit of, Christ, the spirit of Jesus, then you don't have Jesus. And so it's clear. It doesn't talk about how you're saved and then somewhere down the line you get the Holy Spirit. It says when you get saved, you get Jesus and you get the Spirit. So how is it that it's not true here? 
And what does that mean? How do we, how do we define that? Well, the best way to interpret scripture is by other scripture. Okay. It's not by somebody's, you know, 53 line going back to this word doesn't really mean this. And that means something else, or this is my experience. It goes down to what does the Bible say overall? How do we look at it? How do we interpret that? So what happened here? Well, one of the things we have to remember is this in the early days of the scripture. It's in the, excuse me, the early days of the church, right? And so there are things that are happening in those early days. And so where we're going to go back to first is in Matthew chapter 16, because the disciples and Jesus are out and Jesus asked him a question. He says, Hey, who do people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah, some say, you know, a teacher, whatever. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one who answers. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's in Matthew um, 16, verse 17. And then in verse 18 and 19, he says, now I say that you are Peter. He changed his name. He'd been Simon up to that point, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And so what is the, what does that come from? He says, now, what is now? Now is because G Peter has just said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the, that's the first confession that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of God. Okay. By man. All right. And so Jesus says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. So this is about building the church. So how's the church built? Well, Jesus told the apostles, wait, he's about, he's ascending to heaven. He says, I want you to wait. Don't go start. Don't go start preaching. Don't do anything. Wait until the Holy spirit comes upon you. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and this rushing wind happens. Everybody comes to hear what it is, and what does Peter do? He goes out, and he says, look, people think, well, they're just drunk or something. They didn't know what was happening. The Holy Spirit was on them. He says, look, they're not drunk. And he goes through, and he gives the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved. That wasn't available to people until that moment. So, what does that mean? I want you to go back to Matthew. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does a key do? If somebody gives you a key, what is it for? It's so that you can unlock something and open something, right? Unlock and open. And so what does Peter do when he preaches to the Jews? He's unlocking the gospel now to all the Israelites, all the, all the Jews, all of them. 3,000 of them are saved in that moment. So now Philip's going and preaching to the Samaritans and the Samaritans are not recognized by the Jews. They don't even acknowledge that they exist. They will go all the way around the country of Samaria rather than set foot in Samaritan soil. And so as a Jew, that's what Peter had learned his whole life. That's what Philip had learned their whole lives. But now they go and he preaches there and people are believing. So Peter goes there. And it says he prays for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans. Why? Because Peter unlocked the door for salvation to all the Samaritans. He's the one who has the keys. All right. 
After that, what happens? In Acts chapter 10, you know, Peter's the guy who does all these things. He unlocks salvation for the Jews. He unlocks the door to salvation. Jesus is always the door. He's the confession. Okay? He opens the door to the Samaritans, and then later on, he's the one that opens the door to the Gentiles. So God sends him a vision and says, hey, there's some guys that are going to come, and they're going to ask you to go with them. Go with them. Because otherwise, if they had come and said, hey, come to our master's house, Peter would have said, no, he's a Gentile. I can't go in there. Because that was against their law and their custom. They weren't to associate. But God tells him ahead of time, go. So he goes to Cornelius' house. God gives him a vision of there's all this, this uh, food that comes down from heaven. And in that food, God had always told them, don't eat pork, don't eat this kind of food, don't eat that. It's unclean. But now God tells him, hey, all these things were created by me for good. You can have any of them. And so he's telling them the gospel's not just for the Jews. And so he prays, he follows God, he gives the gospel to Cornelius and his family, and all of his household and Cornelius are saved on that day. And so Peter says in Acts 10, 34 through 35, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So Peter unlocked the door of salvation for the Gentiles. God used Peter in each one of those things. Why did he do that? Because the church is to be one. And if it hadn't happened that way, there's a good chance that, well, there's the Samaritan church, there's the, the Jewish church, and then there's the Gentile church. We would have been separated probably. There would have been all these branches of the church, but God brought them all together. Peter was the one who unlocked the door. And so now when we look back and we think about Peter, we don't really think about him, even though he was, as being primarily Jewish. We think about him as being the beginnings of the church. We think about the apostles as they were the foundation of the church. We don't think, oh, yeah, well, they were the Jewish church. And then over here you have the Samaritan church. And then over here you have the dirty Gentile church. And that's all the rest of us. It's all one it's one church. Acts, excuse me, Ephesians 4, 5 through 6. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. You know what? Man didn't come up with this, hey, equality deal. God did. God's the one who said we're all the same. We are all equal. God is not a respecter of persons. So when you walk through this door, I don't care what language you spoke when you were little. I don't care what your, your skin color is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care. When you walk in this building and, and you, you come to the church or you come to other believers, that overrules everything. We are believers. We are children, sons and daughters, those who are in Christ of God most high. And we are one. We are one with those who right now are worshiping across the world from us. We are one with those who are behind enemy lines, serving God in countries where if it, it was found out, they'd be put to death. We are one church. This is the one place on the earth where we are all one is God's church. 
And that is all of us and all believers everywhere. And God did that intentionally. So when we see that, it was the sign of the Holy Spirit that told the early church that this was of God. You see, the believers got the Holy Spirit. Peter preached. Other people began to, to demonstrate the signs in the early church of the Holy Spirit. And they were like, wow, this is all, we're all together now. And when Peter came back from giving the gospel to the Gentiles, they pulled him aside and said, man, what are you doing going and living and talking with Gentiles? And he said, look, I prayed they received Christ and they received the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That was, this is one of the amazing things to me is that people who had been taught their entire life that they were God's chosen people and it wasn't for anybody else in a moment rejoiced because it was now clear to them that the gospel was for everyone. You know, that, that is just one verse in there and it totally amazes me about the power of God of redemption that people could take what they had been taught and their prejudices for an entire lifetime and in just one moment when they realized that the Holy Spirit came on them just like it did on those who were in Jerusalem, that they were able to rejoice and say, man, this is for everybody. And that's why the sign, there were the signs of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit didn't come on to them until Peter came and unlocked the gospel for them. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who's over all, in all, and living through all. We are one. God is no respecter of persons. We're, we're one. We're equal. Now, the thing that Jesus warned us about over and over again was about counterfeits. There's the wheat and the tares. There's, there's all kinds of illustrations that he uses that, you know what, there'll be those that are going to spring up that are going to look like you, and they may even talk like you, but there's going to come a time where you're going to realize they're not. And here's what we as believers have got to accept and understand, is that there are going to be people in our lives that tell us they're Christian and they're not. And we may not know that for a while. And every single one of us are going to experience that in life. Every single one. Most of us already have, and we will continue to experience that because that's a fact of life, that whatever God does, the enemy tries to counterfeit. And so this Simon guy that we found and we met in the first part, it says in Acts 8.18, when Simon saw that the spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. So here's the thing about Simon. 
Simon believed and Simon was drawn and Simon followed because of the signs. That's what he was interested in. And so there will always be those that see some benefit in Christianity. I've had people tell me, well, you know what, I, I needed it to get off of this, or I, I felt like that I, I needed to do some right things, I needed to make a change. See, there's all kinds of reasons why people will tell you that they've embraced faith or embraced Christianity or whatever. You know, I, my parents did, and I wanted to honor them. There's all kinds of reasons. But there's only one kind of reason that leads to salvation, and that is I recognized that I was a sinner, that I had offended God, and that I was separated from him because of my sin. And I repented of my sin, and I turned to Jesus, who's God's son, who died on the cross for my sins, and who rose on the third day to give me life. And I confessed him as my Savior and Lord. See, there'll be other things people will try to tell you. And here's the deal. It's not our job to go and, and try to weed out the fakes, because Jesus said, look, the, one of the parables they came and said, hey, somebody's planted tares in amongst the wheat because that's what Satan does. He said, don't try to separate it now. It'll all come out in the end. But if you try to go uproot them now, you might disturb those who are growing. Because it's not always easy to tell. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, it's not our job to go around and say, well, this person's saved and that person's not saved, and this person's saved. But what he says is you'll know them by their fruit. This is where you're seeing Simon's fruit. You see, he's not going around telling others about the gospel. He's looking to get this gift as a way to replace the magic that he's used before. He's looking for it as a way to enrich himself, to enrich his life. When we follow Jesus, it's a man, I, I have nothing. I don't have anything to bring to God when I come in salvation. All I have, all I have is, is saying, you know what? I, I, got, I have nothing to offer you in return for what you're offering me, which is salvation. And so I, I'm coming empty-handed. And I'm laying down my life and trusting Jesus. There will be fakes. And one of the dangers is that there's a time, there will come a time, just like there was with Simon, when what is fake is going to be revealed, when fruit is going to be seen. I've seen this happen in churches through the years. People that come in and they start all gangbusters and then there comes a point, I've had it happen in different ways, where they, they all of a sudden they start pushing this doctrine that is not scriptural. That's actually opposed to scripture. And what do they do? They gather people around them. They try to build a following. And then at some point when you tell them, we're not doing that here, they'll leave. And here's, this is the, this is what they're being used for. They may not think this consciously in their mind, but they're being used by the enemy to pull others out of the church. And I've seen more people and more faiths shipwrecked by following friends, even when it contradicts the word of God, than anything else. And they choose friendship over following Jesus. Now, 
I'm going to tell you right now, the choice is never going to be between me and somebody else. It's not. Because Jesus is the leader of the church. And if somebody disagrees with something that I say or an opinion that I have, that's not a reason to break a friendship at all. But here's the deal. If what they're saying is contrary to the word of God, then you better make a choice about whether you're going to follow Jesus or follow them. Because that's the choice. You're either going to hold fast to the word of God. You're going to hold fast to the Savior. Or you're going to choose friendship over following Jesus. And I can't tell you how many people I know that they're not involved in following Christ at all. They may say they still do. I'm not saying all, not everybody that leaves because they're upset about something. There's others that go to other churches and, and God uses them and God bless them. But I've seen a lot of people choose a friend because their friend was upset or because their friend didn't like something or because their friend was going to leave and it shipwrecked their faith. And they're following Jesus. And that's the whole reason there are counterfeits. There will always be counterfeits in the kingdom of God until the very end. Okay? Until God separates. The Bible calls it wheat from tares, sheep from goats. Okay? So what is our choice? It's always to follow the things of God. Don't let God, because somebody's mad, two people in church get mad at each other. Don't follow a person. Choose and decide what God's called you to do and follow that and stick with that. God knows there's counterfeits. The enemy uses counterfeits to try to pull us away from faith. Now, it doesn't say what happened with Simon. We don't know where he went or if people followed him because of Peter called him out. We don't know. But those are some of the choices that we're going to have to face. And so that is sermon number four inside of this one. And so you got a four part, four sermons in one. You're welcome. You don't have to thank me now. <laughs> and so the, I had this passage and I couldn't think of how to, how they all kind of work together. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to look at them as four totally different things. And they are together in a lot of ways. And I get that because it's always about following Jesus. Number one, be faithful where you are. Number two, don't copy the world. Number three, there is one word, one faith, one baptism, and one Lord overall. Anything that tries to separate you from that, reject it. And then the last thing is beware of counterfeits. Beware of counterfeits. And you know what? I didn't do any of that to make anyone doubt because it, it, it is tricky it says Simon believed, but what did he believe? Did he believe the signs or did he believe the message about Jesus? And I'm not trying to cause you to doubt because you know what? God still does things. You may know of somebody that was miraculously healed by God, but that's not the basis of your faith. It still is always about Jesus. Now we can rejoice in what God's done, but you don't get saved because God did a miraculous work. That may lead you to Jesus, but it's not that that saves you. It's that that points you to Christ. And so the question is always going to be, do you know Jesus? I don't care how much you know about him. 
or how well you've done in life, you may have done a lot of good things. That's not enough. Good works is not enough to save you. Good knowledge is not enough to save you. It's knowing someone who is good, and that's Jesus. And so here's the thing. Do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, I, I want to tell you how to get one. Because it, it's simple. It wasn't easy. It took Jesus living a sinless life and dying on the cross in, in my place and in yours. Dying the death that we deserved and his resurrection from the grave. So it wasn't easy, but it, our part to it is simple. And here's, the, here's what we have to do. Number one, we got to admit that we're sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so you, you can't get into heaven by being good. You can't ever be good enough. Sin separates us from God. But God, because he loved us, he sent his son. And so we've got to ask for forgiveness of our sins and turn away from them. That's what the word repent means. The second thing is you've got to believe in Jesus. Just like Peter confessed, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He wasn't just some guy. He's God's son. He lived a life without sin. He died on the cross for our sins, for yours and for mine. The only reason he was able to die in my place and in your place was because he didn't sin on his own. And so he was a substitute, a sacrifice for my sin and for yours. You got to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing is you got to confess him as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you've not done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do it today. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're in right relationship with God, and if you'd like to know that that relationship's going to last forever, that you're going to live in heaven with him, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Now, you can repeat the words I pray. I'll pray them in short sentences. Or you can pray them in your own words. Just pray them in your heart. God will hear you. But if that's you and you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, you pray this with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm turning from my sins and asking your forgiveness. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. And so today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of people. But if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now because I want to encourage you and I want to pray over you. So look up at me right now if you prayed that prayer today. Okay? All right. Okay. Okay, I see you. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And then I also want to encourage you to let someone know. And there's three different ways you can do that. There's a number on the screen. Just text SAVE to that number. 
and we'll get back in touch with you. Or you can open up the QR code that's right by it. It's also in your bulletin. You can do that later if you are more comfortable. And we will get in touch with you and set up a time to talk and answer any questions you have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. Now, we're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you. You're, you're welcome. We'd love to have you come to church here, but if you need to be somewhere else, we're all right with that too. We still want to help. And if you'd rather do it today, John will be here at the front as soon as the service is over and either he can talk to you or someone else can. We have people that would love to do that and talk to you today. But it is important that you talk to someone about your decision to follow Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. And Father, I thank you for those that have come to faith in Jesus today. And Father, I pray you'd continue to speak to them through your word. And Father, thank you for loving us enough to send your only son to die on the cross so that we might be free and so that we might have life and so that we may know you. And Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.